welcome to Comedy Incompetent. My name is Doug, and this is a podcast about beer, movies, everything in between. So this week we're going to be continuing the MCU in review series by talking about the last movie of Phase 2 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know last week I said that the Ultron was the end of Phase 2, I was wrong. So the real end of Phase 2 is the Ant-Man. So this we're going to be drinking a beer from Lagunitas called Lil Something, which is pretty good. I'll get into that at the end of the show. But to introduce my guest this week, a little interesting, a little something new. We're recording in person because it's my dad, Richard. Dad, how you doing? Good. How are you, Doug? I'm doing good. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, this should be fun. So talk a little bit about your MCU background. What do you know so far? I am truly comically incompetent. Good to hear. <laughs> so are we. <laughs> I, um, um, I've seen Ant-Man. Okay. Um, I've never read any of the Ant-Man comics. That's fine. I've seen Iron Man, the first one. Anything in between? Any of the 12 movies in between? No. Okay. Fair no. enough. Fair enough. No. Uh, and nothing after, I'm assuming. No. Ant-Man I is... mean, I've heard of I've heard of Captain America, and I've yeah. heard of some of the characters, and then, of course, I've listened to your shows, so I know yeah. stuff about them, so I've been educated through your show, but prior to your comically incompetent podcasts, mm-hmm. I have no knowledge of... In fact, I think I just asked you the other day, what does MCU mean? Yeah, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, you did. And I think I want to bring up something that you said when you watched the movie. You point out that something about Stan Lee. You want to share what you said about Stan Lee? Stan Lee has a cameo in Ant-Man. He does. As At well, the end. As well as every single other Marvel movie, movie yeah. ever. Even outside the MCU. He did Fantastic Four and Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. He was in all of those. I'm well. not even really sure who Stan Lee actually is. I've just heard about him in like... You, know, you don't know who Stan Lee is? Well, I know he's sort of a creator, but I don't know exactly how he fits into the whole... He created the characters. So he was hired by Marvel when comics were a failing business. And he created Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man. He was the father of all these okay. characters that we built the universe So he, he rewrote the comic books and all that? He wrote the comic books. Not okay. rewrote. He created. Yeah. He wrote the originals. Yeah, good. Um, so... I just knew he was somebody famous, because you always see him, like, with yeah. Comic-Con and everything comes yeah. up. Right? he's the father. He created this. Yeah. Um, so... And I think he's no longer with us. He is, No, he passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Um, his last cameo was in Avengers Endgame, but he passed away before the movie actually got to come out, which is the yeah. end of his thing. Um, so you kind of grew up in the... I would say, like, a part of a golden era of comic books, but you didn't really read any. You weren't that big into comics. I wasn't that big into comics. Didn't really understand them. I mean... When I grew up, my exposure to any of this stuff was the Batman TV show with Adam West. 1966 you know, Batman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I remember there was a Superman TV show, and it was in black and white. So it was like, I was watching reruns when I was little. Yeah. But um, I think the guy's name was George Reeve. And then I do remember mm-hmm. the first sort of superhero movie of the new generation was the Christopher Reeve Superman movie. Yeah, yeah. So I do remember that. And then I think think I remember the first Batman with uh, Mr. Mom. Oh, Michael Keaton. Yes. Yeah, with uh, Tim Burton's Batman, 1989. But that's about it. That's, okay. That's my experience. We so. did go see the Dark Knight together, though. You took me oh, to I remember Dark Knight, Dark Knight. yeah. Yeah. But that was midway through a trilogy, so I don't think you saw Batman Begins. I didn't see the other ones. Yeah. Uh, so to jump in the Ant-Man, though, I want to open up on the, the beginning scene. So it's supposed to take place in 1989. Oh, wait, wait. I got a question first. Okay. How does this movie get made? I mean... I'm envisioning somebody goes into a studio yeah. and pitches, I got this great idea. We're going to have this ant as a superhero. Yeah. I mean, that was and the, the thing. And the superhero is going to be Paul Rudd. That was the thing. that when, when it was announced that Ant-Man was next, everyone was like, well, a lot of people were like, who, first of all, who the hell is the Ant-Man? 
Second of all, it was, why now? Why? This seems ridiculous. But as I talked about Grayson on the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy episode, I think this was when Marvel started to take themselves a little less seriously. So I think it was kind of like a moment where they could say, this is ridiculous, but it'll fit and it'll work. Plus, Ant-Man is one of the original Avengers from the comic books. So I think at some point they had to fit this in. Paul Rudd, I don't know where that came from. That seemed, that was such an interesting choice. But I think you need a comedic actor to take this movie and make it a little less well, He serious. was perfect but, yeah, for yeah. it. But oh, yeah, you just definitely. don't think of him as a superhero, although no. he did kind of get jacked for this movie. and He got really yeah. in shape. You don't think of him as like an in-shape dude, especially when you watch him like 40-year-old virgin in right. movies like that. He doesn't seem like but the in-shape guy. But his sense of humor worked well and then worked with well with the other character. Yeah. Um, Michael Pena's Michael character. Michael Pena's character played. But then... There's legitimate story. I mean, Michael Douglas is an Academy yeah. Award-winning actor, so, yeah. you know. Marvel was able to pull in these big names for a lot of these movies. I mean, even Robert Downey Jr. was a big pull, a risky pull for Iron Man, but a big, big pull for the... Yeah, but he was renewing series. his career. I mean, Michael yeah. Douglas is at the top of his career, right? Yeah. Right? Which is interesting, because like I was saying, at the beginning of the movie, we have... The first time we get to see this form of CGI making him look like he did in 1989. Right. Which is funny, because when this came out, I remember back in 2015... That looked like the best CGI I'd ever seen. There was no... It looked just like him at the time. Now, looking back at it five years later, it was a little off. Like, there, you can see kind of the seams of the CGI on his face. But still, like, what do you think seeing, like, that kind of technology, like, for the first time used? I mean, it was good. The thing I liked about this and why, you know, why I haven't seen some of the other movies is, you know me, I'm sort of a, a realist. Yeah. Right? So, if something doesn't make logical sense, I can't sit there and watch and buy into it. So, this kind of... Um, I guess if you're not a uh, superhero or MCU or comic fan, this is a good one to start out on. Yeah. Because it really kind of eases you into it. It's uh, got a bit of humor. It's not real gory. It's yeah. not, you know, there's not a lot of death and stuff. Um, but, you know, it, it is, in some respects, it is kind of silly if you think about it, right? He shrinks himself down to be this superhero. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's a it's a total dichotomy where most superheroes are these big, strong you know, things, yeah, right? Yeah, the complete opposite of what we The complete we're opposite. To. And in this case, he doesn't really... There's no villain in this movie per se. I mean... Yellow does, Jacket He does in, get yeah. with Yellow Jacket, but Yellow Jacket wasn't a threat. Yellow Jacket was a perceived threat, right? Yeah, what could have been what could if have he would have succeeded, right? Yeah. If, if, if he was... It was to the point where he was getting to the point where they were, they were concerned that they were going to be able to replicate it and yeah. then use it um, for evil instead of good, right? Yeah, this was cutting off the villain before he could really become a villain, a villain at the beginning. Right? Yeah, he's really—he's only a villain to Ant-Man in, yeah. the, in this particular uh, uh, movie, right? Yeah, and they make a point of that too in the line where Scott Lang's like, "Why don't we bring in the Avengers?" And Hank Pym's like, "No, we're not going to bring in the Avengers. Like, this is our fight. We don't need the Avengers. This right. is our thing." And it is cutting off at the source because, I mean, if he would have succeeded, if Yellow Jacket would have won, this would have been an Avengers-level threat of a million little Yellow Jackets flying around, you know, killing people like he wanted them to. But it's interesting to see um, the dynamic that they bring into this as Paul Rudd being a comedic actor and making it comedic. Like, there's that scene at the end, like, kind of jumping around a little bit. When you see they're fighting on the train set and it looks like this intense fight, the music's playing, then they show up from the outside and just look at the train just kind of oh, falls over. Right. It doesn't look like anything from the outside. And I think when Paul Rudd came in, it worked perfectly to make that well, laugh at itself. I actually, in doing some research, because I tried to do yeah. some research, it said, because that train that they used was an actual cartoon character. Thomas Tommy the Train. Thomas the Train. Yeah. They could use it as long as they didn't, um, uh, they didn't create a... 
like you said, like a, a an evil type situation for Thomas the Train. Oh, okay. so that's why it was interesting. That's why it was sort of you know uh, a funny scene, a funny scene, yeah. and not some sort of you know death and the train is killing people or but, something yeah. because because of that. But I do want you were starting at the beginning of the movie, and I want to start. So so I, you know the reason I saw this movie is because uh, when it first came out, uh, which I, was a few years back, probably what 2015. 2015 yeah, was that. I thought, oh, how stupid is that going to be? Yeah. Right? Well, that's what everyone thought, too. And that's what everyone thought. But I thought, I like Paul Rudd, and I like Michael Douglas. And, yeah. And, and then people were like, this movie's great. So I went to it, and it turned out really good. But when you first get there, and it starts with the salsa music, yeah, you're like, what are we doing here? Right? It's a, it worked perfectly. Bringing Michael Pena in as probably my favorite side character in the whole series of Marvel, over 12 years of Marvel. I mean, he just kills it, that character. And you get the that dynamic of the friendship, their cellmates, and... Even that Michael Pena line where they get in the car and um, Paul Rudd's like, oh, how are you doing? He's like, oh, my girlfriend left me and my mom died. My dad got deported. But I got the van, though. Like, I, I love that bit. Like, he's hilarious in it. And he right. brought in, like, and, like, the salsa music kind of fits in with, like, the whole vibe, like, kind of where they're living, what they're doing, they're crooks. But it makes it less yeah. serious of, like, they're not Avengers. They're not, like, these big name heroes or villains. They're, it's just kind of like these, it's accessible with the salsa music and everything. It's a lot right. more accessible for people. Like you said, it's a lot easier for someone to jump in at this movie than any other movie this late into the series. Well, it's also interesting, too, because it brings in a couple of different themes, like the whole Robin Hood concept, right? I mean, the yeah. reason he was in prison to begin with yeah. was because he, right, he he, he he was a burglar as he... Burgle, yeah, he burgles people. He burgles, he doesn't, he's not yeah. uh, a robber or anything, he burgles uh, because that's not violent, right? But then he, um, he he's in prison because he burgled someone to take the money away from and use it to help the people that were being hurt by that person in the yeah. first place. Yeah. So he's kind of got a bit of a Robin Hood-esque type theme to him. Which I didn't understand why his ex-wife in the film, Judy Gear's character, was so like, he's he's a villain, he's a robber, you're a thief. I mean, like, they made him out to look like he was such a bad person when the crime that well, he committed was... Well, and I understand, like, I understand, like, he had... He was he, in jail. He was in jail, but for helping people. Like, that was why he did it. And the jail he was in was San Quentin, which is a maximum security yeah. prison. So. Which is funny, because from what they described, the only thing he did that was, like, in anywhere violent was driving that guy's car into the pool, which they just glance over. But all he did was, like, he took the money that these people were stealing and gave it back to the rightful owners. But he went into a maximum security prison and lost everything for helping people. I just thought that was an interesting way of, like, villainizing right. him for doing something that most people would consider, like... I mean, even the guy... um. What's his name? The, the Baskin-Robbins manager was like, no, it's a cool crime. So he did right. a cool thing. Which, I love the casting of that because there's no one in this world that looks more like a Baskin-Robbins manager than that guy. Well, yeah, and just so you know how corporate America works, right? Did, I don't know if you saw it when I was doing some research. They were, it was written in the script of the movie that he was a Chipotle yeah, I did see that, employee, yeah. And Chipotle didn't want their identity associated with hiring of former prisoners yeah. and things like that. So, which Baskin Robbins was the, I mean, that's the line Baskin Robbins always finds out. Yeah. I love that line. That was like such an iconic thing that Baskin Robbins is now associated with, which is ridiculous, but it's fantastic. Well, the best part of that scene is when he's, when he's with the manager and the manager's like, I think you're, you know, it's cool what you did. And he's like, oh, great. I I thought I was going to be fired. He's like, well, no, you are fired. Yeah. We can't hire you. (laughs) But, but you could take the mango, uh, the mango fruit with you. Yeah. The mango fruit blast with you. That dude was a weird dude. He just, he embodied the Baskin Robbins manager. Right. So but well. this whole movie is sort of filled with those kinds of yeah. characters. Yeah, it was interesting to 
bring that in. I mean, and then you also have Evangeline Lilly's character as Hope Van Dien, the daughter of Michael Douglas's character, and she's amazing. I mean, I love her, and we got to introduce her kind of as the Wasp at the end of the movie. Who is she's also in the comics a founding member of the Avengers? Yeah, so so so. Well, I know we'll get to it towards yeah. the end, but that whole thing at the end where she gets to see the suit, the end credits, yeah, that's the Wasp suit, right? Yeah. So that means she's coming back as some other character now. She does come back. Um, the the next movie in the Ant Man series comes a lot a lot later. I think twenty nineteen, so four years later, as Ant Man and the Wasp is the next film that they're in. Okay, together. and that's her. I haven't seen that's that, her, so I'll yeah. have to see that. Yeah. Did the mother or her mother and. Uh, the the wife who yeah. who they they didn't say she died. She went subatomic. She just went subatomic and have never been seen since. So yeah. it's sort of presumed that she's dead. So yeah. I don't know if that gives room for that person to go back. Was that the wasp as well? She was the original wasp, just like okay. Hank Pym was the original Ant Man. Right. She was the original wasp, and then the title has been passed down. But it's not the person; it's the suit, right? It's, it's the, the suit is the whole thing. It's the hero. It's the person who embodies the hero, wears the suit, and becomes that person. It's like, in the comics, there's, you know, and Tony Stark passes away in the comics, someone else dons the Iron Man suit, they fight for justice, they, they become are the Iron, Iron Man. Man. Right. Or, so anybody yeah. that puts on the Ant-Man suit becomes the Ant-Man. If they, I think it's the thing of, if you fight for the for the same cause, if you fight for the same reasons, Okay. and you're that you're that just person and you put on the suit, then you become the Ant-Man. Also, I think it's also, if you're picked by the original, like the last Ant-Man, then you become the Ant-Man. Just like Hank Pym picked Scott Lang to be the Ant-Man. Even though uh, uh, Hope Van Dien definitely fought that. <laughs> she right. did not want him to be like, getting him arrested and for breaking, which I thought was funny when he goes back in to put the suit back. He's yeah. like, no, I wasn't stealing anything. I was putting back something I stole. <laughs> That's right. And 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 then um, uh, the other characters they bring in the the, the sort of the three stooges you know yeah uh, Michael other, Pena the T.I. Guys. and I don't know the other uh, David Destin I can't say his name <laughs> right they they were they were all kind of funny you know? oh they're great they were like a good comedic relief. so the Ant Man sort of Paul Rudd sort of straight man approach yeah so Michael Pena I love that scene where he's like describing where he got the information. And he's like, I went to this wine tasting. He's like, you know, I don't like red wine, but there's this rosé to save the day. And he like goes and like wrong details, yeah, wrong, wrong details. details. But then he goes through this whole like scene that takes you back like twelve steps yeah. to how that all happened, which I thought was a clever way to um, to bring the the watcher, the viewer, up to speed yeah. as to okay, does that make sense? How did this? You know, how did they get to that point? Oh, and they go five steps, ten yeah. steps back, and all of a sudden you're like. Okay, that makes sense. It was something that I feel like they didn't need to explain. If you would have just said, hey, I got a guy, and we're going to go rob this house, audiences would have been okay with it. But then you give that backstory, and the people feel more invested. They feel more right. a part of the heist when you are you know how they got to that point, instead of just jumping to that point. And then when they when they finally go towards you know having to break into the um, the headquarters or whatever that, that place yeah. was, um, and then each of those guys that were sort of like, you know, incompetence, right? Each of them have their role, and each of them kind of nails their Yo, role, right? Yeah, that's the, the, the thing of, like, they're ridiculous. So the second you like, give them a job to do, they're doing it, and they're doing it well. Like, the hacking and setting right. up and stuff. Which you do see some of their incompetence at the end of the movie, when they're in the truck. Oh, yeah. The cops are they're you total see, idiots. You see it. But, they're total idiots. But it's fantastic. I mean, that it brought this comedic relief to a movie that was trying to be serious, but also comedic. It was a good balance. Like, they brought a really good balance to the story. Right. Um... And then so he gets the suit and he dons the Ant-Man at the first time. One thing I thought was interesting is this movie, when you shoot a movie, you have different aspect ratios. So a normal aspect ratio has those bars on top and bottom. If you notice, if I watch this movie, there's no bars top or bottom. They expanded it to a 185 ratio, which means in film, 
it goes up. Because the way they saw the movie, they were editing it normally. You know, you have the black bars top and bottom when you're watching a film. They realized that when you play with heights, shrinking and stuff, it looks better when you have more screen. So if you watch it again, there's no bars on either side. And so they're shrinking up and down, which it really goes into this scene when Ant-Man first shrinks down, pressing the button. He's in the bathtub. The whole screen you get to see kind of expand and drop with him. And it's an interesting uh, way of watching it. If you ever go back and watch it again. Um, They also, when he's tiny, there's not CGI. They got what's called a macro lens to record and film where he was. Like they shot a bathtub, but the macro lens makes it look like they shot at his level, like an ant's level. It's really interesting. There wasn't CGI to make it look like they did. They actually shot at an ant's level, which is interesting. And you get the funny scene of like Michael Pena coming in. He drops his pants. He's going to go in the shower. And he's like, oh, I don't want to see that. And he gets knocked down. And he's in the dance floor and all that stuff. It's a good scene. It's a really fun kind of scene to introduce you, which then... I know, I'm sure you noticed at the end um, of that scene, he gets flung out. He lands on the car. Who's right. in the car? Yeah, that's Garrett Morris. Yeah. He was a, a SNL character in the time when Dan Aykroyd, the Bill original Murray. Saturday Night Live cast, right. the original 1975 cast. Right. Which I wonder how he got roped into doing I, when that. I was Did doing you research, find that out? Yeah, when I was doing research, I found out he was actually the first person, the first human, not cartoon character, the first human to play Ant Man. Really? It was an SNL skit where each of them were a superhero, and he was Ant-Man. I never knew so that's I never why they knew put that. him in there. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I was wondering, because you see him, and you're like, he's famous. He has he cameos doing? in yeah. movies, all, all, sorts of, all sorts of things. He's been in cameos. I mean, he came out like, he even came out as himself in Family Guy. Like, there's a shot in Family Guy where I was seeing an animated show, and they're like, he comes in as himself in, like, a right. corner of the screen. It's really weird. But, I just, yeah, I thought that was interesting that he was there for just to play, like, the cab driver for two seconds. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was a great scene, and make though. a cameo. Um, so, yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, very, you know, very entertaining um, uh, as far as the movie went. I mean, there were some some great funny scenes, but even just the thought process put into things, yeah. like when he was breaking into the safe and how he had to create the fingerprint with the glue. Yeah, that was interesting. The one thing that bugged me about that is that it's everything he needs is in the first drawer he opens up. But it's a movie; you got to do right. that. But I, I do like that he knows everything. It's a Carbondale. He's like, it's made the same steel as the Titanic, yeah. so ice and everything. And I love that line where he's like, you know what it did to the Titanic? And Penny's like, yeah, I killed everyone. The guy's like, no, not the woman. She still put the heart of the sea there. Yeah. yeah. Like, he knows the Titanic that well. I, I doubt spraying some Freon or something into metal is going to make that happen. Probably but not. it was a great effect and, and, and sort of told the story. And it shows his smarts. It shows his character of like, oh, he is a kind of a genius at this stuff. Right. At, you know, I guess being a burglar. I like, I like when he got in and um, uh, uh, the, Kurt, the character Kurt that has the Russian accent, yeah. he goes, he's in like the Flint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those guys are ridiculous. I love their characters. Just like all the little lines that they do, like that. I'm right. jump, I know I'm jumping around again, but at the end of the movie, we're like, we gotta go help Scott. And they drive up, and all they see all the cops are like, just back it up, back like, it up, back it up. <laughs> the cars like, just back it up. <laughs> yeah, they're they, characters. They're funny. I mean, that whole that whole thing of them, uh, you know, they're just idiots. I mean, it just it kind of plays off the whole the whole thing. But so the Pym particle, yeah. does, does that show up anywhere else, or is that strictly Ant Man when it comes to? Uh, it, MCU stuff. It's, I mean, I mean, it's obviously in the comics you have the pin particle, but it's used in Endgame, like later on. Um, I don't mean I can talk about it because I mean I doubt you're going to go walk back and watch all the movies. So I'm sure I can spoil some stuff for you unless you want to go back. And no, watch that's them okay. All. So you want me to talk about it? Sure. So it's used again in Endgame. They are able to harness the power of the quantum realm, which is where Hope Van Dien's mother got stuck. They will harness the power of the quantum realm, use the pin particles, then travel through time. 
and get back what they lost in Endgame. And so it's a when you think about it, this whole series is saved by Ant-Man. He's a ridiculous hero with ridiculous power. Like you said, he gets tiny. He's the opposite of any hero we've ever seen. The opposite of any. But he saves the world. He's the only reason that they win in Endgame. When you really break it down and think about the storyline, the only reason they beat Thanos, who is the overarching villain of the entire MCU. Okay. So it's interesting to see that he would. He, they he's the one that saved him. Like he's the reason they're right. so, like they were able to live through everything. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to because you haven't seen <laughs> you've only you've seen two movies, one and then fourteen in the series. That's right. But it's he's 12, a very twelve, 12 yeah, yes. He's a very important uh, character for later on. I mean, and the Wasp is, and Hank Pym, and uh, Janet Van Dien, who plays the mother, who they actually have Michelle Pfeiffer play her in the later movies. Okay, so, so. she does come in at some point. She does come in in Ant Man: The Wasp, yes. I'm getting educated as I listen to your podcast yeah. coming up, um, but I'll probably have to watch some of these movies as well. Yeah, I mean, some of them are phenomenal. Some of them are a little rough. I think we hit a rough patch with like Chris and I talking about Thor: The Dark World. It's a rough movie to get through. It's not as good as these ones, but once they kind of hit Guardians of the Galaxy, every movie is fantastic. I mean, Ant Man is fantastic, and Civil War, which we're out next week, is amazing. Uh, they cover you know such great topics and everything. They're really actually good right. movies. Um, but this movie, I mean, also hits. It's interesting to see all the different parts of Scott Lang that they put in this movie. He's a father as well with his daughter. Um, you uh-huh. get to see his daughter and the dynamic between his ex-wife and her new husband. Now, is he is he part of... Is Scott Lang part of the comics or was he just written into the movie? No, he's part of the comics. In the comics, because Hank... How, I should have known this too off the top of my head. Hank Pym was the original Ant-Man from the comics. But in the comics later, he passed it to Scott Lang as he gets older. Different reasons. The, mo- the reason he's passed down changed for the movie. Good. But he is it is passed down to Scott Lang, who's the Ant Man, which I know you and I talked about before recording was it was supposed to be Hank Pym as the Ant Man. Right. But then Hank Pym in the comics has an issue with like spousal abuse and some stuff that right, wasn't right. family friendly. Scott right. Lang is, so they switched it for Scott Lang. But and kept they Hank focused Pym, on him. Yeah. yeah. Hank, kept Hank Pym as like the role model character. So tell me about the scene where they have to go, right? He's trying to get the I don't know what that part was, but the part they're trying to steal, the yeah. regulator or something, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that thing is. From the Avengers. From the Avengers. Uh, So he goes to an Avengers warehouse or something and runs into the Falcon. Yeah. And, you know, basically kicks the Falcon's ass, right? Yeah, pretty much. And then then the Falcon makes a, a, you know, a comment about don't tell anybody that... Yeah, don't tell Captain about this. Yeah, that I got beat up. And then the the final scene, if you watch through all the credits and and go all the way to the end and, you know, they're starting to sweep up the movie theater, they... They give you a preview of the next movie. Yeah. And so, the Falcon and Captain America. and Yeah. So that scene, so that was originally just like storage for Stark, like that area. But then in Avengers Age of Ultron, you see that they built a whole Avengers facility there without telling anybody because it's a secret facility. So as far as Hank Pym knew, when he was working for S.H.I.E.L.D., that was just storage. So he sent Scott up there. Turns out we now know it's an Avengers facility with all, I mean, all the superheroes are supposed to be there. But the reason they chose the Falcon is because, I guess, when they were shooting this movie, they kind of knew they wanted some sort of cameo, but they weren't sure what they wanted. Winter Soldier was coming out at the time of this movie being filmed. So they went to the theater, um, the director, Peyton Reed, and uh, producers, I'm sure, as well, and Paul Rudd, and they just fell in love with the character of the Falcon. Like, we want that guy. We want Sam Wilson, the Falcon, as our cameo. So then he goes, kicks his ass, and that end credit scene... So that's the only end credit scene ever in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's actually a clip from the movie. That's a clip from Civil War. Normally they're 
extra scenes that kind of bring right. you into the next movie. Right, because there are further gaps in between. Maybe, but this... Yeah. Well, actually, so Civil War is the next movie. Right. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. They yeah, were filming true. that. Some of the other scenes, they might not have even started filming the next movie yet. Yeah, so they took a straight scene from there, which the whole premise of Civil War is that Bucky Barnes, who's the guy who's got his arm trapped, he's got like a robotic metal mm-hmm. super arm. Um, he's kind of, he was brainwashed by the Russians. He's starting to kind of come out of it, but Tony doesn't believe that he is. So he wants him imprisoned or killed and Cap is trying to protect him because they're friends from childhood. Got it. And Sam Wilson is always on Cap's side because they're friends from their movies. So the Accords were basically, it's, it's a whole thing, but that's basically the movie is that saying like, we can't trust Tony. So who do we call? And the Falcon's saying, well, I know a guy because he's got his ass kicked by Ant-Man. Okay, so, the so Ant-Man will be in being Civil War. someone that hasn't seen all these movies, that was a little weird to me that all of a sudden, because how they figure out it's an Avenger facility, right, is he's kind of flying in on, yeah. the, on, the, on, on the, the Carpenter Ant. Yeah, on Anthony. And, on Anthony. And, and then he sees it's not just a warehouse because it's got the big Avengers yeah. th- uh, uh, logo on it. Um, and I thought that was like, well, why? And now I know they did that just because they were trying to insert yeah. something. Because... That meeting between Falcon and Ant-Man is the reason Ant-Man is even in Civil War or later films. Because he, Hank Pym didn't want him associated okay, with anyone in that it world. It seemed to have no bearing on anything, but they were just trying to show you a preview of something else. Otherwise, why yeah. was that? Why did that scene even occur? Well, that was the thing. I remember seeing this in theaters in, 20, in 2015. And even at the time, because we, ha- we didn't have later movies. We didn't know what was going to happen. It still seemed a little out of place the first time. Until then, you see Civil War, and you go, oh, they were putting a connection in and showing See, now you. i got to yeah. watch that one. That's the, They do a good job of that. I mean, these end credit scenes, even the when Age of Ultron, you see Thanos grab the gauntlet. And I think if you listen to the episodes, you know, like, he's like, I'll do this myself. And it's the, it's the right. Infinity Gauntlet that's so important. You're like, well, now I go, what does that mean? Like, now i got to keep going. Like, i got to know what this means. See, that's what's cool about this movie. I didn't even know some of this, but there's so many different themes in this movie. Yeah. I mean, you've got the... We talked about the Robin Hood-esque type theme. Yeah. It, you know, obviously the theme of this movie is redemption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got all these little ins and out themes with Captain America and, yeah. and, and other movies and the Wasp and, and all that stuff. It's world building. There's a lot going on. It's, it's transitional to... Yeah. That was the thing that a lot of people make fun of like DC for is that DC came in so late and they tried to jump to where Marvel already was. They tried to just do a team up movie in Justice League. But when you watch Justice League, you're like, I don't really, I've never seen an Aquaman solo movie. I've never seen a Batman solo movie. I've never seen that. Like, like, I don't know who these people are. Whereas you get to these, these moments in Marvel and you're like, I have a connection with Scott Lang. I have a connection with Captain America. I have a connection with the Falcon. It all kind of makes sense. It feels like natural and it feels good. And they did a really good job of building that universe and making the audience feel comfortable you know it doesn't feel like too much because you know them and you know their backstories you know their feelings about everything right it feels good they do a good job of that and i think ant-man was a good transitional point for them to kind of go like things are it was a good palate cleanser because they just had their big ultron moment world saving moment and then ant-man kind of comes in as like a little palate cleanser like oh something funny something kind of moving forward it was the same thing when they did infinity war infinity war came out and it's this intense movie that ends with a lot of characters dying and then after that, they fall with Ant-Man again. The second Ant-Man. It's like a little power cleanser, something fun, something relaxing right. to kind of move you forward, but nothing that's like too intense. And they, he did a good job. They did a good job making his character someone that you can kind of rely on to like sit back and relax for a second in between these movies that are so emotionally exhausting because they're so intense after all these years of building the characters. But it's interesting to watch. And you should definitely check out the later movies. If you ever want to be back on the show, well, you might have I to. I have to <laughs> definitely watch the second Ant-Man. 
so I can um, understand yeah. where it goes from there. But there's five years of movies in between these two Ant-Mans, so it's not going to make any sense. Okay. Well, we're we're in a pandemic, so I guess I got, you got time, time to watch movies. You definitely have time. So um, I think the next scene I want to talk about is when they like, – we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but the big scene where they go into heist to get the yellow jacket because we're already half an hour in, so i got to move on a little bit. Um, so they go to get the yellow jacket, and – I love the scene. Like you said, when you give these ridiculous Three Stooges guys their jobs, they're good at it. Like Michael Pena infiltrates and he goes right. in, he is helping. And you have the two morons in the truck and they're helping even though they're ridiculous and funny. And you get to see um, the Yellow Jackets character, uh, what's David Cross, and he's losing it. That right. that particle that he's created is driving him absolutely insane to a point of murder. Right. And it's, I mean, you see him kill people who, anyone who's against him. And the Yellow Jacket hasn't been in any other of these movies or anything. No. So this, he's like a one-time villain. And I know it sort of seems like he dies at the end in the bug zapper, but we don't know if he's dead or not. Yeah, which then he comes back even more intense, even more crazy. Right. And going after now his daughter, which then, I, I like the scene where you get to see him go, Ant-Man goes subatomic to fight right. him. But that fight scene before that, it's just, like you point out, it's ridiculous. Like, they show you a lot of the fight from the outside, the falling briefcase, where it's like, I'm going to incinerate you. It's like playing incineration. Right. By the, and then the music's playing, and like the beams, and you look at it from the outside, it's just a falling briefcase. Like, there's nothing special about it. It lands in the pool with the splash. Like, it's kind of just funny. But then they jump out, and you see the big, and now he's big, and he's got the big guns and stuff, and he's, like, threatening a family. Like, it kind of right. jumps between funny and intense. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, but it's not, it's not so bad. No, 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 no. It's not so bad. And then, um, you know, the Yellow Jacket then has the same powers yeah. as Ant-Man, right? He can shrink himself and yeah. still retain his strength. strength. Yeah, That was one thing. Now, that... does, does Ant-Man, when he shrinks himself, he retains his strength or does he get even stronger? No, he retains his strength. But like Hope Van Dien says when she teaches about a fight, putting the force of normal human punch behind a, was how tiny his fist would be as like a bullet. Right. So... He, it's the same strength, but just behind such a little thing, it puts so much more force into such a little bit bit of mass. Right. But there's some potholes people pointed out where he's supposed to keep his weight. Like you see it when he falls off the bathtub and cracks the tile. But he's supposed to keep his weight. But then you see it when he's like running on the guy's gun. But like the guy's not like like you know he's not right. He can't he can hold him up still. Like it's stuff like that. That little, little sure. potholes here and there. But you have to kind of suspend your disbelief because it's he's shrinking. Like it's it's joke. But that's one thing Marvel struggled with. I think is. Um, and I think people, I heard people call it like same villainism, where it's the villain is just the hero ended with a different color of their suit. The yellow jacket is the Ant-Man with a yellow suit. Right. Black Panther is, or Killmonger is Black Panther with a gold suit. All right, well, you saw Iron Man. Iron Monger is Iron Man, but with a silver suit. Like it's all right. They they kind of struggle with creating villains that are their own image. It's the villain but, is created in the hero. But they image. made the story. Tried to make sense by saying he tried to replicate yeah. the Pym particle. That's the one of the few that makes sense. Like I talk about a lot, talking about Black Panther, um, Killmonger. It's never explained why he just puts on Black Panther's other suit, and it's just kind of like okay, he's not his own villain anymore, like he was right. in the beginning of the film. But you'll have to watch the movie, um, which we'll talk about more when we get there. But I think the Yellow Jacket was one of the few that he had a reason. He was like you said, trying to replicate to a point of insanity, trying to replicate what he knew existed, but Hank would never tell him really existed. Right. And you get to see that in that scene toward the beginning where he's like, uh, "We could have done this together, Hank. You could have told me about this so much sooner." But he's he's losing it. <laughs> he's losing it. Yeah, and the power's gotten to him. But it's funny because this movie doesn't really end. Yeah, it just kind of finishes. 
Yeah, right. There's so much story to tell left. There's yeah, it, it, it's almost like a setup movie, right? There's there's no real end to it. It's not like he saved the world or something because yeah. the world wasn't under attack. It was the presumption of if he figures out how to how to copy the pin particle, then he's going to turn the yellow jacket into this army of yeah of you know uh, army of villains that are going to go out and take over the world, but yeah. It never gets to that point. Yeah, it's if Ant-Man fails, then the world will He saves his daughter. That's about it. Yeah, saves his daughter and saves yeah what could have been. And even though he's too late to save a lot of people, like the guy in the bathroom when uh, David Cross tries to, like, he kills him and, like, flatters him on the floor. Right. But, yeah, he only really saves his daughter. And then what? it's a lot of, like you said, like, what he well, could he have saved. Well, he doesn't even really kill him. He turns him into some sort of goo. But he's probably dead. <laughs> well, you don't know. That's true. You don't really know, but you can you can assume. He's not an important character, but I'm yeah. just saying you know you you don't know. Yeah, which I know you haven't seen the later movies. There's a big part toward the end where David Cross says that he's selling the Hydra. Did that mean anything to you when that came in? I mean, no. you've heard the podcast voice. You know, we talk about Shield versus Hydra. Right. It's like the um, what's that? The best way I can equate it for you is in Get Smart. It's chaos versus control. Oh, okay. It's like that. Shield and Hydra. Hydra. Okay. So he's selling to the bad guys, basically. Got it. Okay, that's a, that. There's so many things going on in this movie. That's like you're 12 movies into this, like yeah, and they all connect. And to they each all other. connect to each other, but there's so many things going on. From like I said, the Robin Hoodism, yeah. to redemption, to his whole dynamic with his wife and her new husband, yeah. and his daughter, and his three friends, and Doctor Pym and Doctor Pym's daughter and the yeah. Wasp and I mean there's so many there's like twenty different storylines going on at the same time in this movie yeah which I thought speaking of um, his ex wife's new husband and that the him his cop the cop and his partner they went through so much hell in that last scene they're That's running right. around between his car getting stolen the tank coming out of the building the explosion the helicopter flying away and they're just running around like we don't know what the f- to do right now That's right it's a great scene of him like. You just feel bad for his character who's just trying so hard to have a control for just a second, but everything is going wrong around him. Well, and you mentioned the tank. You know, that yeah. tank the keeps key. showing up. Yeah. It's the keychain, right? So it's the key he used when he first broke in yep. to, uh, to get the suit, when he broke into the safe. Yeah. He pulls that key to open the door to get to the fingerprint machine, right? Yeah, it's how so many times you've seen it. <laughs> and, then, and then it turns into uh, uh, the tank that then gets bigger. Yeah, which is funny because they... That was one thing that they kept alluding to, and you keep thinking, something's going to happen with this little keychain. But for some reason, you never think it's going to become a full-size tank. Right. But they did a good job playing with that. Because you you only see things get smaller in this movie. You never get to see something get bigger until he creates a tank and it comes flying out of the building and stuff. And the guy's on the phone like, and there's a tank here now. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So, yeah, very interesting movie. I think um, if you're just starting out in the world of comics and the mcu this yeah. is probably a good one to to start with although as we said you're halfway through everything so yeah this is about the halfway mark i mean would you suggest watching them all in order or is there a better way to do it i mean my girlfriend and i have had this back and forth of this because she believes watching them in order of the storyline so watching captain america first because that takes place in the 1940s right then watching captain marvel because that takes place in the 90s even though captain marvel was the second to last one to come out but i believe watching it because i saw all these movies in even through high school and like basically midnight premieres um i went to all these so i saw them all as they came out and i think that's the best way to do it because that's the way that they were intended to be seeing and that's the way that we saw them 
So I think if you're going to watch him, you got to watch Iron Man, and then you got to watch the Hulk, even though the Hulk kind of doesn't have a lot to do with it then. Now, I, I, I've seen the Hulk before, not the movie. I remember the original Hulk yeah. TV show. The Lou Ferrigno show. The Lou Ferrigno show, yeah. yes. Which, uh, Lou Ferrigno Total has some cameos. Total oh, yeah. cheese. <laughs> well, because it goes from... I mean, I don't know who the actor was who played the Bruce Banner, but then he get, turns into Lou Ferrigno, who's just uh, a big dude painted. Bruce painted. Banner in the TV show was a guy named Bill Bigsby, who was a uh, an actor uh, famous for the TV show Courtship of Eddie's Father and some other Never things. Heard of that. <laughs> he was a sick, uh, actor in the sixties and stuff, sixties okay. and seventies. So, um, but yeah, Lou Ferrigno, and uh, you know, and then Lou Ferrigno, of course, went on to uh, that show with. Uh, um, uh, the, uh, where he played the neighbor with the funny guy, the UPS driver guy, um, King oh, of Queens. Oh, King of Queens, yeah, yeah. The where King he played Show. Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, he plays himself, right? Who moved next door to this guy yeah. who drove a UPS truck. Or he whatever. plays himself a lot. He played himself in that movie, I Love You Man, with Paul Rudd again and uh, Jason Segel. Uh-huh. And he plays like a ridiculous version of himself where he has like yeah. statues of himself at his house. Like, Well, he's such a likable character. But I remember yeah. in the TV show from years ago, it was just like green makeup. Yeah, like it was just spread on him. Yeah, painted green. <laughs> that's one thing I think that gave. Like, there was no CGI yeah. in that at all. <laughs> when you, it gave superhero movies like this kind of ridiculous, kind of campy nerd feel. So, before, so people were surprised when they start coming out with like the Iron Man movies, and they were like good, intense movies because people thought of like the kind of ridiculous, campy like that with Lou Ferrigno just painted green, kind of haphazardly painted green, right? And so like that, that's what people imagined, and then now we have. I mean, it's cool to like superhero movies. It's cool to like comic books now because of what we have now. It wasn't cool back in... Well, think about it. Lou Frigo probably walked around 12, 15 hours a day painted green. Yeah. Right? But he was a hero to people. People like comic... He still goes to Comic-Cons and people are obsessed with that dude because he was the Hulk. Well, he's a super likable guy. Yeah. I heard he's like the nicest person. Yeah. Um... And he's legitimately racked. Oh, so, yeah. He's a huge yeah. dude. Even still, like, that's in, I don't know how old he is. Yeah, but I, just, I think he was, like, in the time of Arnold Schwarzenegger and stuff, I think he was a professional bodybuilder, Lou yeah. Ferrigno was, that was, uh, like, a Mr. Universe or whatever. They, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of that, I'm surprised we haven't had Schwarzenegger at all in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. They seem to be using these mainstream actors to play these roles versus yeah. the Schwarzeneggers or who you would think would be the... You know the uh, the the superhero characterish types. They've taken some risks. I mean, you do have some people who I think fit, like Chris Evans is a, he's a hero type Captain America. But even we we're talking about just the passing of Chadwick Boseman. He embodied Black Panther, and he wasn't too big. I mean, he had forty two kind of out at the time. Like he wasn't too massive of a star until Black Panther just set him through the right, roof. Right. I mean, he had some great movies, but yeah, they kind of pulled these actors that you're like. I don't know if that'll work. And then you see him on screen, these heroes, and you're like, oh, that's there's no one else that could have played him. Like, I remember when they were like, oh, we cast Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, and everyone was like, that's a mistake. He's coming out of rehab. Like, I don't know. But now all these years later, people are like, there's no other Iron yeah, Man. He, he, he opened the door for everybody, right? Yeah, well, that's what people say. I mean, there's no Marvel Universe. There's no Ant-Man without Tony Stark, without right. Robert Downey Jr. perfectly so, portraying that so character. So the Tony Stark character in Ant-Man, or that not Tony Stark, but the... Uh, what is it? The dad or whatever is that? Who, the guy? The guy from uh, Mad Men who plays? Oh yeah. Um, what is his role? He's Tony Stark's father. He's Howard Stark, father, right? Yeah. Howard Stark. So he just has a short piece in Ant in this movie. Yes, and I know he's you know obviously a, a bigger part of what's his name? Something Iron Slater. Man. I don't know his name. Yeah, he was in Mad Men. Yeah, really good actor. His first appearance as Tony's father in the MCU was all the way back to Iron Man Two, which is the third movie in the universe. 
And they use him here and there. They use him a lot in the next movie in Civil War. He's a big character in that with flashbacks. Um, you even get to see him. They use the, te- the de-aging technology again in the next movie. We can see Robert Downey Jr. de-aged to him what he looked like in his like 20s and interacting with that actor. Right. It's a really interesting scene. Um, I'd recommend moving on to that one. I mean, you, sh- you just kind of need to watch those, but that's a good one. Well, I definitely want to see Black Panther because I've heard so many great things about it. Phenomenal. That. Absolutely. I'd say, yeah. besides Iron Man... And I got the best now, solo movie. I now have to watch the Ant Man and the Wasp because now, but you're going to have to watch at least Civil War to understand what's happening in that movie. And then that this is like with redecorating your house. Now I got to redo the floors. Then I yeah. got to redo the yeah. Which because for me it was easy because I came into this from. I mean, mom took me to go see Iron Man, so I see I've been in this from the beginning. There's no catching up for me. I'm a part of this. I've been here right. from the beginning, so I don't even know what because you and Chris, the only two guests I've had that are really watching this with the show. Kind of learning with the show. Well, had I not listened to all your your other podcasts, I, I, I don't. I'm not sure I could do this. So. Well, I'm glad we're helpful because I feel like we're a little incompetent when we talk about no, it. No, no, no. It's very helpful <laughs> for someone that doesn't know it. But so, how does this work? I finished my beer. Do I get another one? Or if you what, want, what I, got the, I got the pack right here. Sorry, audience, you're going to hear the the Cut. crack in the beer. Thank but that's you. fine. Um, I'll get into the beer in a minute. I think I do want to move on to the end credit scenes though, as we're at okay. 40 minutes. Um. So the first end credit scene we have is one that we had talked about. It's uh, Hope Van Dien and Hank Pym. And he's like, I have something I want to show you. It was your mother's. And you get to see the kind of beginning of the wasp suit. But she wasn't... When the mother was in the scene, you don't really see her, but you yeah. see her in the sort of like a female Ant-Man version suit. Yeah. It wasn't that wasp suit. They were rebuilding something more streamlined, something better for her. And he never called her the wasp. Because I don't think there was like... No, I think they did. I don't think he called her the wasp. I think... I thought he was just, it was sort of like she would go on these adventures with, with him, him. Yeah. And then she had to, because his regulator or whatever wasn't working, she had to save from the ICBM no, hitting the world. He does, because they say, um, at that scene, it's very quick. He goes, they called her the Wasp. And then he starts talking about it. It's very quick. Okay. But, um, yeah, so we'd see, I think it was building a suit for her, or for uh, Janet Van Dien. But then you, like he said, I realized we were building it for you. And that's the suit that she ends up wearing in the later films. Okay. Um, but that's a big one because that was I wasn't sure if they were going to do the wasp because I I know about and you this, have to but... you have to watch because they do like like a whole bunch of credits and then that scene yeah and then more and then credits. a whole bunch more credits and and not even like 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 fun to watch credits it was just like normal credits black screen with white letters yeah. flipping across the screen and then and then there's this key thing about the Captain America thing at the end. Yeah, where we get Bucky Barnes as the Winter Soldier. He's trapped in some, like, what, like, like crank thing? I don't know they're called. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's... Uh, it's Falcon. Yeah, Falcon and Cap talking about the Accords and how they can't talk to Tony, which all makes sense after, once you've seen Civil War. Because that's a scene straight out of the movie. And Falcon's saying, well, I know a guy who can help, alluding to now they have the Ant-Man. And also, it's not an end credit scene, but the end of the movie where Michael Pena is talking about how... Like, there's someone looking for Ant-Man. And you get that scene where he's like, uh, the Falcon talking. Right. Um, Falcon's like, I'm looking for someone. She's like, we got a guy who swings. We got a guy who climbs up walls. We got a guy who shoots... And they're talking about Spider-Man, alluding to that. Spider-Man's going to be in the series as well. But that was a fun scene. Another Michael Pena scene. Right. Where he's like, and did... uh, He says, looking for Ant-Man. He's like, what'd you say? He goes, I said, yes. And like, the end of the movie. That's like the end of the scene. Right. Um, But yeah, those are big scenes. That's a lot of alluding. Because now we know Spider-Man was coming into it. So then we got Tom Holland in two movies of his own, as well as in Civil War, so three times. And alluding to Ant-Man being brought back. Which then they have the classic thing of Marvel, Ant-Man will return. Showing you that. Because they they started doing that at some point. But I like the end credit scenes because as someone who I've worked in the industry, 
it's nice that people have to sit and watch the credits. They have to see the names of the people who gave them that movie. Right. Because normally people leave the second directed by well, I love gone. when they do that. I yeah. remember in the movie Something About Mary. Yeah. When they did sort of, they played, um, they played, uh, uh, I think they played Buttercup. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. And they're play and they're showing the, uh, the crew of the movie and, yeah. and, the, and, and everybody doing funny things and, that's like the best when they use the credits to do something fun. Yeah, or what was it? Um, I think they did the same thing in like Shallow How. Mm-hmm. The Frelly yeah, Brothers, the do, that, brothers do, that do that all the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. It's just kind of fun to do that. Um, in this case, I probably would have got up and left had you not sort Told of hinted you. to yeah. me. You didn't tell me. You hinted yeah. to make sure you watch, watch the credits. It's important. Because there's, it's funny. When you go to – the weird thing to me is like Gavin and I saw um, – Spider-Man Far From Home, which was the latest one before quarantine started. And we're sitting in the theater. This is 22 movies into Marvel. Every Marvel movie has had a few end credit scenes. We're sitting there. The movie ends. And people are leaving the theater. And we're like, how do you not stay at this point? Like, this is 22 movies. This is 12 years of you knowing to stay at the end of a Marvel movie. And people leave. And you're like, well, I guess they're going to watch it on YouTube later or something. But they do a good job of making sure that you stay in it. It does give a lot of information for the next movies. And they're really cool scenes. And they're fun to watch. But Good. I think I'm going to move on to the beer now if you're cool with that. Yeah. So this is from Lagunitas Brewing Company. It's a pretty big company. This is called Little Something. thought it worked really well. It's an, uh, just a regular IPA. So Lagunitas has a few places you can go. Seattle, Chicago, and Petaluma, California. I'd never heard of Petaluma. Yes, I've been to Petaluma. Where's Petaluma? Petaluma is in Northern California. We stopped there. We were visiting colleges with your sister. And you were with us. Yeah, I was there. We went to a place called Lombardi's Barbecue. Not that related to us. That's Petaluma, California. Oh my god. It's okay. a little rural. It's a little rural. A little rural. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that Lagunitas would pick Petaluma for Well, probably they're growing hops out there. Oh, that's true. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Um they're pretty sure you actually buy online as well. They'll um ship to people. They're a pretty big company. You can find Lagunitas well, in Is Lagunitas it's no longer a craft brew, right? It's no. it's now owned by it, it's gotten I think it's owned by some bigger company. Yeah, it's all the like, big ones do. I yeah. mean you know, Budweiser bought Fat Tire and... Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, what's the other one we, we've gone to the brewery down in San Diego? Uh, Ballast Point. Ballast Point, so... Yeah, I mean, this, I try and stay with local breweries to support local breweries. I know Lagunitas is a big company, but it's also nice to show these off. I mean, they make good beers, though. Yeah, I mean, you can get this anywhere. I mean, usually when I talk about a beer on the show, it's like, you know, you can get this in Southern California. So it's nice to have a beer that you can get pretty much anywhere, grocery stores and liquor stores. I've never seen it before. Uh, yeah, I got it just at a liquor store. Nothing like oh, special. Did I didn't go to a brewery or anything for this one. Okay. Uh, it's. I think it's pretty good. It's very easy to drink for a, um, a regular IPA. I usually don't like regular IPAs. They're too hoppy. I like hazy IPAs, but yeah. this is pretty good. Yeah, it's a, a way smooth, silky IPA. I'm trying to find the alcohol percentage because I usually share that, but I don't see it. But it's really good. I recommend it. If you guys are ever in like a grocery store or a liquor store and you see this one, a little something, I'd recommend getting it. It's definitely the better one I've had from Lagunitas because I've had a few from them. I've had... Um, well, they're famous for... I'm trying to remember their name that they're famous for. Lagunitas IPA. IPA yeah. Just the IPA. Uh, Lug- little something does come to hazy. They were one of the first ones that started the whole craft, you know... Yeah. Uh, where the craft beer growth started happening. But... They've been around since 93. They've been around yeah. longer than I've been around. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. I recommend it. Um, is there anything you have, any other thoughts you want to say on the end, man, before we sign um, off? No, I just, I, you know, I enjoyed the movie. I think it's a good starter for people that don't, um, you know, haven't jumped in with both feet. Um, I would recommend, as I've done, listening to the podcast and then understanding. 
it makes the movie a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to watching Ant-Man and the Wasp. Well, last question. Would you go ever go back and start from the beginning? Would you ever watch Iron Man and then Hulk and then Iron Man 2? Would you ever go back to the beginning or would you just kind of want to continue from here maybe? I probably would go back to the beginning and start is what I'm thinking. Um, the only thing that would be difficult for me is if they get if they start getting so obscure and difficult, uh, as you mentioned, maybe with some of these Thor movies. Thor might stuff, be a little rough for you. Then. It might be a little rough <laughs> for me, but I'll, I'll definitely give it a shot. I think, you know, I, like I said, I want to see Black Panther. I want to see the second Ant-Man just to see what happens. Yeah. Right? I'm sort of locked in now. And then um, I would have never thought, I'm kind of with Grayson. I'm not a big Captain America fan, but... Um, <laughs> to say the least with Grayson. <laughs> uh, after listening to you guys, it sounds uh, it sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got a really... I've got to really be great. I mean, you know, I'm the guy that saw the, when I say the first Star Wars, I mean, what is that? Star Wars 4? Uh, a New Hope was the, no, well, it was the just first, called Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. The, the one that but came out But then they like changed the name to A New Hope. Yeah. That, that one I saw and I never saw any of the other ones. I don't know how. They're so good. No, you did you technically did. I remember. No, I saw one other one. I saw we saw Phantom Star Wars Menace. 1. Yeah, which is one, right? Which I think, was like the Fourth one? Yeah, I think you might have rented it from Blockbuster or something. No, we saw it in the theater. Did we? But only because I took you, but I would have never seen it otherwise. I love Star Wars. I mean, those are some good. That's one I want to get into after we finish And then, of course, I have to watch the Hobbits and the Lord of the Rings, which which I've never seen. Evangeline Lilly is in the Hobbit series. She plays, so the Wasp in this series. But Paul Rudd isn't in it, so. No, but Stephen Colbert is in the Hobbit series. Oh, okay. He's, he's now canon, which I know you like Colbert. Okay. He is in the second Hobbit movie, as along with Evangeline Lilly. Well, good. So, uh, one thing I do want to say is we're going to be talking about more about Chadwick Boseman in the next one in Civil War. It's his introduction, a lot more, more about his impact and his role as the Black Panther and his true importance to the series. So, stay tuned for that. We're going to have Dominic on next week to talk about Civil War with me. Uh, Dad, thanks for being here. Thanks for being on the show. A lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. So, everyone stick around for next week and have a good week. Bye.